Chapter 16 of Into the Frozen South by James Marr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. South Georgia again. At six o'clock next morning, all sail being then taken in and the ship proceeding under engines alone, boilers fed with blubber, we entered Leith Harbor and anchored with both anchors as a precaution against the violent squalls that strike down from the hills almost as the cables ceased their rumbling a motor launch was alongside bearing mr hansen of the whaling station and mr hussey who had been appointed guard of honour to our well-loved leader mr hussey gave us all the news which we were very greedy to hear he had taken sir ernest shackleton's body to montevideo with the intention of escorting it home to england for a great public funeral such as a man of our boss's heroism deserved but lady shackleton had sent word that she desired the remains to be laid in an even more fitting resting place in south georgia the gateway to the antarctic which he had by right of conquest made his own the spot closely associated with one of the greatest of his many exploits that memorable journey in the dead of winter across the glaciers and rocky heights of the island of which the whole world knows and so over in the old pathetic graveyard of gritviken he was buried simply the shetland whalemen carrying the coffin with no funereal pomp and circumstance and the bareheaded norwegian sea-fighters following him respectfully to his last resting-place it was what he would have wished when the rocky grave was filled in a simple wooden cross was erected and on its arms mr hussey placed the wreath brought from montevideo on behalf of lady shackleton mr and mrs rowett and the members of the quest expedition so the restless soul found rest at last but his memory must endure for sir ernest shackleton was brave not with the sudden hot courage of battle but with the quiet determined bravery that lasts through terrible tedious days when hope drifts sullenly away and leaves bleak despair but though his labours were ended ours were not much of his original programme remained to be carried out and in order that this might be done work was resumed with vigour under commander wilde accordingly after hearing mr hussey's news all hands turned to to clear the bunkers of the gear that had been stowed there aforetime and whether it was the hard work or the change from recent ice surroundings i know that for one i found the weather quite sultry and overpowering really it was very cold but we began to wonder where we could lay our hands on tropical clothing by reason of the thickening of our blood the general view of leith harbour gave me the idea of a smooth lake surrounded on all sides by abruptly rising hills 
short precipitous glaciers come down at short intervals towards the shore the lower steeps are splashed with snow whilst the raw earth shows abundantly though here and there is a heartening patch of green the greater heights are eternally snowbound and as often as not veiled in mist and thick clouds and there is practically no flat land whatsoever the whole island seems to stand on end with the exception of a few acres at the far end of the harbour where the noisome whaling station lies peaceful days followed during which we worked hard and played as hard some of our party went fishing and returned with great catches of coarse fish which compared unfavourably with the toothsome spoil of our northern waters we played football overhauled the ship fore and aft aloft and below entertained the shetlanders with impromptu musical evenings and generally joyed in a return to moving life the weather was scottish in its changeableness sunny days alternating with bleak misty days so that it was almost possible at times to believe that one was back at home and the happenings at the best but a vivid dream whaling proceeded with great activity during this present stay of ours in south georgia whales were constantly being towed in and flensed and the white smoke from the drying works hung constantly over the busy station whilst the reek of rendering oil was appalling fishing in which sport i indulged frequently proved an easy occupation especially amongst the thick kelp which everywhere clings to the coast all that was necessary was to drop over a hook with a piece of fat blubber attached and a second or so later came a tug and there was a fat fish so greedy were these rock cod that often they would bolt the bare hook and not trouble us to rebait by way of a change from sport i blacked down the rigging with tar and made a filthy mess of things in the process smearing as much of the delectable mixture on myself as on the rigging i think and earning a severe choking off for dropping tar on our immaculate or nearly immaculate decks bridge in the evenings with music honest work plenty of play and there you have the record of our south georgian days one pleasant break however came when i was ordered away in the whaler with mr douglas mr wilkins major carr and mr jeffrey for a survey of cape saunders at the entrance to the harbour we were towed by a greasy old motor launch which the norwegians employ for towing the whales about the harbour but it gave us headway enough for our purpose a heavy sea was running however and this made it impossible for us to land on the cape itself so we turned back and got ashore a mile farther inland where the going was easier on account of a bit of smooth beach having landed it was very hot clambering up the rocks 
we took observations enough to satisfy the most critical of the surveyors then returned but the weather having become worse during our activities we got a thorough drenching before we regained the ship on easter saturday april fifteenth we left leith harbour the battered old neko a disreputable packet entered harbour from deception island her holds crammed to bursting with oil barrels and thanks to our wireless we gave her g m t as we steamed past her for which she was very grateful as her chronometers had not been rated for long enough it was cold as we steamed down the harbour and the mountains from which much of the snow had departed were covered with drift we were bound for the stromness whaling station which lies at the end of another arm of the bay and on arriving we went alongside the norwegian steamer perth our manoeuvres must have seemed clumsy to her crew for a sudden gust of wind drove us down aboard her with such force that our bowsprit fouled one of her boat davits and snapped like a match so that next morning dell and myself were early at work repairing the damage stripping the broken spar of its tangle of foot ropes guys and outhauls and the like here at stromness we had fresh relays of visitors both from the shore and the british steamer woodville which lay there they wondered how we'd managed to win clear of the pack ice down farther south most of our afterguard went aboard the woodville where they were royally treated but as the cook had departed on a holiday i helped jimmy argles and umpa a south african whose real name was young to prepare lunch for the forward party during the night following this day of carnival the wind increased to hurricane force again and i was roused at four a m by the skipper yelling for a cork fender his cries were almost drowned by a great crashing and rending but the noise was the worst part of the business we were rolling and churning against the perth thanks to the pressure of two whalers which lay outside us but after they'd cleared out the worst of our troubles were over at ten o'clock we gave the woodville a salute with our ensign and moved off housing our boats in readiness for the rough weather that was only to be expected out in the open we washed down and as our hose was somewhat the war o the wear we all got a satisfactory drenching as a reminder that we were seamen and not shore fellows we entered prince olaf harbour during the afternoon where we tied up to a buoy there is another whaling station here and the backing of the great pinnacle rocks is very fine indeed at four p m we went alongside the tank steamer southern isles and made fast for the night during which the rain sluiced down in miniature niagaras still the rain laid the dust somewhat which was a good thing for our particular job next morning was to coal ship and that as everyone knows is an uncleanly operation 
From after breakfast until 5 p.m., we were hard at it, taking aboard 53 tons in that time. Argles, Young, Ross, and myself shoveled on deck. Three Portuguese trimmers from St. Vincent did the trimming below. Today was Commander Wilde's birthday, and so once we were bathed and presentable, we had a great dinner by way of celebration. After dinner, he came down aft where we drank his health generously. Jimmy Dell proposing a genuine sailor's toast. Long may your big jib draw. And the night died away in song and story in preparation for another mewling day at coaling, which became hard work on account of the bright sun and considerable heat. But by noon, we'd bunkered ninety tons in all, our quota, and after squaring up the decks and washing down, I went fishing with Mr. Jeffrey and the skipper of the Southern Isles. During the day, a large number of whales were brought in, and their swollen pink carcasses surrounded us on every hand, whilst their effluvia, phew! whales and still more whales continued to arrive during the night giving promise of a plentiful oil supply and some of the whalers that entered were towing six whales apiece each one as big as the ship itself but we cleared out of the immediate vicinity of the whales after breakfast and lay off bird island a small pleasantly green piece of land where there was plenty of tussock grass here we anchored and whilst letting go of the port anchor adjoining shackle fouled in the compressor and broke short off like a carrot so that we lost a good anchor and fifteen fathoms of cable mr wilkins and a few others went ashore in search of albatrosses with which mighty birds the place was literally alive many of them wheeling splendidly overhead or hovering like watchful hawks whilst others squatted peacefully on the little hillocks which are their nests though certain less peaceful members of the community squabbled fiercely squawking like fishwives all the time with their huge wings outspread to their utmost span from a distance their uproar sounded precisely like the indignation of a world full of young pigs all being led to slaughter at one time young albatrosses are good eating and we killed some to replenish our larder it was commander wilde's intention to remain here at bird island well named for several days in order to carry out an exhaustive survey but the weather was not fair enough to permit our lying there so we put back to prince olaf harbour there to await more favourable weather with good weather we got under way housed the surf-boat and steamed out into a moderate sea we headed towards the bank of the northwest of the island where we took exhaustive soundings and the quest as though glad to be free from smooth water gave an excellent display of liveliness lord how we grew to loathe her dirty movements 
it is easy enough to write of them in retrospect but whilst they were happening our wearied bones and aching muscles caused loud protests and real deep-water curses such as would have joyed the soul of the old-time paddy westers who went down to the sea in ships in a day when seafaring was seafaring the decks were thoroughly awash before very long whole water piling methodically aboard at every roll and pitch but spite of all this having reached the bank soundings commenced and every hour day and night the machines were busy maybe a brief description of the whole art of taking comprehensive soundings may appeal to the more scientifically minded of my readers the skipper sets the ship on a definite course and along this course we are steered steadily with the lead constantly going the depths ranging from one hundred to two hundred fathoms until we fail to find bottom at three hundred knowing then that the ship is no longer above the bank course is altered until soundings are picked up again and so by dint of a series of criss-crosses over the sea the exact size depth and relative shape of the bank is quite accurately learnt sounding is a delightful job especially when you turn out for it during a cold bleak windy middle watch the proceedings being illuminated by a flaring hurricane lamp away goes the lead one man feeling the wire as it winds over the lead until there comes a sudden slackening of tension whereupon the feeler cries bottom and another man applies the brake not suddenly for fear of mishap but gently collecting the strain by degrees then it is necessary to wind in the wire and weights by hand and at three hundred fathoms and no bottom on a deck that is as nearly vertical as ever a ship's deck could be with the ship curvetting friskily and water cascading aboard it is excellent exercise watches of this kind can become very long and dreary it took three full days and nights of steady work to get an accurate charting of the bank but when commander wilde was satisfied that the work was thoroughly done we made back to prince olaf and anchoring there had lunch in placid waters greatly to our contentment of spirit our prayers of thankfulness went up high they were so fervently uttered we remained at prince olaf for one clear day spent chiefly in violent political arguments amongst our very mixed ship's company and then returned to leith harbour in heavy snow squalls which covered the entire coast with glittering white fierce blizzards blinded us as we entered the harbour and as the steam whistle lanyard carried away and i had to repair it i found that my idea about the warmth of these latitudes was all wrong it was cold cold so strong was the wind that three attempts were necessary before we moored to the buoy the winter now being properly set in south 
Georgia looked a godforsaken place enough to sadden any watching eyes. On Friday, April 28th, a general holiday was decreed for all hands. Fishing was attempted, but returning to the ship, the boat was caught in a blizzard that necessitated a hard, cold pool, and the rest of the day was gorgeously spent in my bunk, delightfully reading and sleeping, with perhaps more sleeping than reading. In Leith Harbor, we rigged a new bowsprit to replace the one carried away and replenished our stores, and on May 2nd left for Gritviken in very squally weather, the launch pulling us clear and the people ashore firing a salute of rockets. The last thing I heard as we moved off were cheers of the honest Shetlanders outside the weather was glorious and mr wilkins put down his dredge bringing up some beautiful samples of maritime life arriving at gritviken at one p m we anchored with our big spare anchor which required the entire ship's company together with half a dozen tackles and portuguese windlasses to get overside in the evening i went ashore with commander wilde dr macklin and dr McElroy to the magistrate's house for a game of billiards the magistrate mr binney owned a remarkable dog whose favorite diet appeared to be cigarette ash on may third a great work was commenced our offering to our dead and revered leader a great cairn was to be built on top of a high noble bluff commanding a magnificent view of the bay and accordingly a large party put ashore armed with shovels and picks and borrowing a couple of sledges from the magistrate proceeded to the summit of the bluff mac commenced at once to dig out foundations and as there were no suitable stones at hand we others climbed a steep slope and quarried out the side of a hill a quarter of a mile away despite the labor this entailed we all worked with a will for there was a definite feeling in all that shackleton himself was directing our efforts as of old his spirit seemed to hover over us and we exulted in our tribute mr douglas attempted to blast the rock nearer the side of the cairn but had no success so we continued our work all day bringing the stones down the hill on the sledges and by evening the cairn was three feet high immediately after breakfast next day we went ashore again to continue our labors young ice had formed overnight on the water and pooling the boat was no easy task in order to expedite our work we lashed boxes on the sledges to increase their carrying capacity but dr macklin's sledge came to grief at the foot of the slope and he had perforce to return to the magistrates for another up and down we went as hard as we could go and in the course of the forenoon transported about ten tons of rock mac made an excellent job of the building and whilst we ashore toiled hard the engineers aboard fashioned a noble cross 
and this was erected on the summit of the cairn in the afternoon on the day following the finishing touches were put to the cairn and a brass plate was cemented in bearing just a simple inscription which said more than whole volumes may be sir ernest shackleton explorer died here january fifth nineteen twenty two erected by his comrades it was evening when this work was done and in the waning light we gazed on the completed cairn standing out dark against the snow and felt how grand and beautiful was its setting how fitting it was for a monument to shackleton the dying sun made a lovely picture on the smooth frozen waters of the bay and enhanced the exquisite beauty of the white mountains beyond we turned away and walked slowly homewards not speaking much because he seemed to be very near we left gritviken on may seventh a sunday and steamed across to cumberland bay on the way we passed sir ernest's cairn and the ship's company stood to attention facing it in salute the skipper afterwards remarked to me on the excellence of the selected site it promised to stand there as a perpetual landmark to all who entered the bay gradually was lifted the inevitable pall of sadness that had clung about the quest after our sorrowful labors at Griffiken we had secured a live black and white pig and an instant hostility arose between this porker and query it was very amusing to watch their antics commander wilde went ashore with a hunting party and presently returned with four large deer a welcome prospect of venison they were skinned and cleaned and lashed up in the rigging next day after landing the magistrate's dog which had somehow been left aboard we steamed along the coast towards royal bay where the german antarctic expedition of eighteen ninety two and three had wintered and here shortly after two p m we dropped anchor quite close to a great glacier that was rotten with crevasses great masses of ice kept constantly tumbling down with a continual rumbling and as they entered the water they sent out waves towards us like the wash of a giant ship proceeding at full speed the whole bay was covered with growlers and smaller fragments of ice the surveying party promptly went ashore and i accompanied them a biggish surf was running and the shore was very steep and very stony youthful enthusiasm prompting me to leap ashore with the painter a roller promptly took me off my feet carried me under the boat threw me up on the beach and effectively drenched me i returned aboard changed and went fishing which was the more peaceful pursuit then the survey party was collected without mishap and taken off aboard the boat was hoisted in and secured for the last time our anchor was hoisted from the south georgian bottom 
and we set out on our journey to what is almost the last loneliest sentinel of the british empire tristan da cuna or tristan da cuna the spelling is optional i believe we kept a course along the moon path in order to avoid the growlers and before i turned in at midnight i took a last long look at shimmering moon-bathed peaks of the stern island that now meant so much to me End of chapter 16